this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Guys, uh, we've done it. We have arrived. We've... uh, (laughs) We've come to the, the last installment of our teaching on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, for the time being at least. And that's kind of a big deal. I never thought we would get here, but over the last number of weeks, and I should have calculated and seen how many different sermons and how many different topics we've covered, but uh, we have been in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 for a considerable chunk of time looking at Jesus' teaching, asking and answering the question of what does it look like to follow Jesus uh, in a culture that is opposed to him. And uh, we looked at the traits, the attributes, the characteristics that Jesus expects of his followers, and uh, it's countercultural. It's revolutionary. And uh, these words were written uh, or spoken thousands of years ago, and they are arguably some of the most important words Uh, in human history, right? We look at the teaching of Jesus and it is 100% profound. And we've been kind of at the tail end, we've been wrapping it up. We've been looking at these warnings and invitations that Jesus gives at the conclusion of his sermon um, at the end of Matthew chapter seven. And the one thing that I could not stress enough for us today because I know there are, are kids' Bible stories, and you had the flannel graphs, and if we've been in church or even just around church language for a while, we're probably familiar with the parable that we're going to talk about today. We're probably familiar with the, the end of the sermon. And I so don't want, uh, I don't want us to grow so comfortable with something that we're familiar with that it loses the weight of the words of Jesus. What I'm saying by this is I I believe that what Jesus says here is of profound weight and it would be easy for us to just kind of listen today and kind of hear Pastor Nate ramble on and be like, oh yeah, it's good, Jesus, and not grasp the weight of what Jesus is actually saying. And so I think there's a danger for some of us that maybe have been around the Bible, maybe have been around church culture for a number of years or for a little while that things kind of, we just, we're like, oh yeah, I know that. Um, They're familiar. And I so don't want to lose the the weight of what Jesus is talking about here. And so I'm just going to cut right to it. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Jesus says this, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded upon the rock. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And this rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. Jesus Uh, very wisely concludes his teaching here. um, And he brings us to a point of decision. We have to, we have to come to 
a decision on what we're going to do with everything that Jesus just said in the previous uh, number of verses and chapters. In all three of these warnings at the end of Jesus' sermon, he gives us a choice. He gives us room to make a decision. He gives us an option to do something with the things that he just said. He doesn't just say these things and then kind of disappear, but he, he deliberately, intentionally gave forth these warnings that we've talked about, these invitations at the end of his sermon um, to not leave us with any kind of gray area, to not give us the luxury of remaining neutral on who he is and what he has just said. He, he brings us very clearly to a, a, a point of decision in the fact that there is a narrow path and there is a wide road, right? There are good trees that bear good fruit and bad trees that bear bad fruit. And the ones that do not bear good fruit get cast down and thrown into the fire, right? And we come here and we see there is a wise man and a foolish man. He doesn't leave ground for neutrality when it comes to who he is. We cannot take the person of Jesus. We cannot take the words that he has said. We cannot take the Sermon on the Mount and be indifferent about it. We can say, yes, that is good, and surrender our lives to it and do something about it, or not. <laughs> and uh, there are only two, two areas that Jesus allows us to align ourselves with, two decisions that we're allowed to make. And those decisions are, would you be wise this morning with the words of Jesus, or would you be foolish? In fact, uh, the word foolish here is moros in the Greek, and Jesus is literally saying, that man is a moron who does not do what I said. <laughs> Jesus, can, Jesus can say that. I could say, you're a moron if you don't do what I say, Adam, and that's probably not true. But when Jesus says this, I need you to understand this is the one that created the earth, created the universe, spoke the very breath of life into your lungs. He knows you better than anyone else. And he is the one that says, if you do not do what I say, you're an idiot. And I realize that's harsh. Those are, those are strong words, especially... Talk about like a burn from Jesus. But he says that you are a foolish man if you listen to what he says and do not do what, uh, what he says to do. It's pretty simple there. I don't have like profound like explanation of what Jesus really meant when he said this. What he really meant was that you're dumb. He's actually bringing intellect into this conversation about, uh, about uh, if you want to talk about like kingdom-minded ethics all the way throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He says, if you don't do this, um, you're a fool. <laughs> and that's, it's, it's supposed to be strong language. There isn't a halfway saved version of following Jesus. He does not give us that luxury. He does not privilege us with that kind of, uh, I can do some of these things. I can maybe partly agree with some of the things that Jesus says here. But we know from teaching over the last number of weeks that he is the only way. He lays claim to that and says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. It's not a room for, Jesus doesn't really leave room for discussion here. He says, this is how it is. And if you're not with me, uh, you're against me. It's a very, very strong, particular language.
I think it's interesting, the similarities between the wise man and the foolish man. They, they run basically throughout the, the, the few verses here. They start with, they both heard the words of Jesus. They both stood without excuse. They knew what the word said. They knew what Jesus had instructed them to do. And I can't stress the importance enough here of hearing, right? Uh, hearing is an important part of the situation, right? We're not talking about uh, you didn't follow Jesus because you didn't hear about him. We're talking about people that had equal access to the teaching of Jesus. We're talking about people that heard exactly what he says, and it's an important part of the situation. Paul would tell us in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are being sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I'm not here to discredit the, the notion. Hearing is important, friends. Hearing what Jesus has instructed us to do is of the utmost importance. I believe in preaching the gospel. I believe in preaching the gospel where it has not been heard. I believe in the fact that we must hear the word of God. That's something very important. But hearing the word of God is a great place to start, but it's not the end all, right? Preach, you can't preach somebody unto salvation. You can present it before them. You can present the gospel with integrity, but that does not in and of itself change people, right? That we, we understand, like I could just, okay, we, we could go, you guys are tracking with me. Uh, hearing is great. Hearing is a start. Hearing is an important and part of the, of the equation here. But unless it manifests itself into action, unless there's actual uh, fruit that is born of it, uh, Jesus says that we're foolish. <laughs> Jesus says, hearing the things that I say, even maybe agreeing with the things that I say, um, but not acting on them is foolish and it ends and culminates in destruction. It's pretty, pretty intense if we really break it down and think about it. I love what Martin Luther says on this. He says on this passage, because he, he has this whole commentary that he writes on the Sermon on the Mount that I found uh, this last week. Would have been really cool for me to be reading alongside while I was preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. But <laughs> he says this, and I thought it was profound. He said that the doctrine is a good and precious thing, but it is not being preached for the sake of being heard, but for the sake of action and its application to life. And I thought that that was so, so profound here, is that it's important to have good theology. It's important to have good doctrine. But the reason for preaching is not just so that we could have good theology. It's not just so that we could have good doctrine. But it's that uh, action and its application to life upon its hearing. And so I thought it would be beneficial today. Uh, if you noticed, I didn't do like a recap. 
I didn't do an overview like I have been doing on, this is what Jesus said last week, or this is what Jesus said throughout his Sermon on the Mount. And I want to encourage you, we're not going to exhaustively go through verse by verse the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount this morning. Uh, but I do just want to refresh some of the, the highlights, some of the main points that Jesus kind of talked about as we walk through it over the last, I don't know, six months, something like that. Um, because I want us to be without excuse, friends. I want us to not just say, you know what, we didn't hear what Jesus said. We don't know what he's talking about. I want us to be able to look at exactly what he instructed us to do. I want us to hear exactly what he said and then examine our lives on whether or not those things are happening or they're not. Because Jesus divides us into two categories. Either we are doing what he said or we're not. And if we're not, he promises to help us do what he instructed us to do. And I want to make sure that that's the camp that we're all siding with. You know, I want, I want you to not just have pointless information about God and about Jesus and about what he says to do. I'd much rather see it fleshed out in action because that's what brings him joy and that's what brings him honor at the end of the day. Amen? Cool. Um, so like I said, we're not going to go verse by verse. But if you want to revisit old teaching, Adam is awesome and has helped me get all those things online. And I'm so thankful for that. Woo. That was, Adam has been a great help. Well, guys, let's uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Doo -doo -doo. I should have been there, but I didn't open up my Bible. How many of you guys are still using paper Bibles? Old school. I use my phone more often than not. I'm being honest. <laughs> but right, we, we began with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He has this sort of introduction called the Beatitudes, right? And it's this series of promises of being blessed by God in result to a characteristic or a trait that is expected as a follower of Jesus. It's this beautiful preamble, if you will, this introduction into his manifesto, which is the Sermon on the Mount that I think is awesome, and this is the only part that I want to read uh, just kind of word for word, but I'm going to start in verse 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall, they shall be comforted. If you guys remembered, we talked about being poor in spirit. That was walking in humility, recognizing there's nothing that we could bring to the table to be right with God, but that we were actually destitute in sin, and God made us right as recipients of kingdoms, as the made us right so that we could receive the kingdom of heaven. We talked in verse 4, the mentality of mourning over sin. We broke it down in the Greek and we looked at it that there was not just that we were just sad, but that we were grieved over our sin and that there was the promise of a comforter that would come. Um, we looked at the idea of being meek and the meek was power under restraint, right? It wasn't just that we were, we were trampled over easily, but that we were... We, we had control and it, over, over something and we relinquished it unto the Lord. It was a trading in of our will for his will and the promise that we would inherit the earth. We looked at blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, that we would be filled, that we would be satisfied. There was a, there was a promise for those who earnestly sought after righteousness. We looked at blessed are the merciful and we talked about the need for us to show mercy and in return mercy would be extended 
did to us. We talked about being pure in heart that we might see God. We talked about singularity of heart. We, we even looked at like uh, other branches of philosophy and talked about having one desire, being pure of heart, not being double-minded. It was really cool if you remember any of that. These are all old teachings, but we talked about being peacemakers, being called sons of God. It was, I, I loved all of these that we got to walk through. Um, it seems like over a year ago now, but uh, it's, it's just really profound, really beautiful. And we looked lastly as we were um, talking about blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Remember, we, we, we really, we really kind of settled and encamped on this one. It doesn't say like blessed are those who are being persecuted because you're a jerk. <laughs> like blessed are those who are persecuted because they're just uh, like obnoxious. No, it was blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted their prophets who were before you. And we, we, we really kind of examined the, the notion that persecution, opposition is good when it's because of Jesus and because we look like Jesus. We can't just take opposition. We can't just take persecution as some kind of sign of we're doing the will of God just because our personality comes through and we're walking in the flesh. Uh, we can easily get those things confused, especially in today's society. You guys remember that? You guys remember the Beatitudes walking through those? I thought they were fun. thought it was a very profound introduction into his sermon, but it goes on from there, right? Jesus begins talking uh, again in Matthew chapter 5. He talks about salt and light. He talks about representing uh, Jesus well. talks about how we impact the culture with righteousness. And he, he goes on to combat wrong interpretations of the law of Moses. There were these ongoing discussions of the day uh, talking about what was right and what was wrong and how they should interpret the law of Moses. And uh, Jesus comes in and says, well, you're all kind of right, mostly wrong and this is exactly how it is, right? And he, he takes the, the law of Moses in regards to murder and adultery and not just uh, expounds upon them, but uh, brings them into a higher level of right righteousness, right? He says it's not enough just that you don't hate some, or it's not enough that you just don't kill somebody. It's not enough that you don't just cheat on your wife. But if the desire is even there, right? We, be, we talked about how sin begins with desire and God isn't just after... Uh, the, the fruit of the heart condition, right? He doesn't just care about the action, but he cares about the root. And we looked at the fact that he was intent on making sure that the heart was in the right place, that hatred was, in, was equated to murder, right? And lust was equated with adultery. And Jesus says, I want to target the root of sin, not just the manifested action. And we kind of brought that down and we, and we walked through that. And he, then he goes on, he teaches on the sanctity of marriage and, and the importance of it and how holy it is before God. Uh, and he, he kind of uh, really calls out the, the religious leaders of the day that were manipulating the law of Moses into their personal gain and to fulfill their personal desires and the injustice that was. He goes on and he admonishes us to tell us uh, and says uh, that we shouldn't take oaths, but that our yes be yes and our no be no. And the fact that he wants us to say what we mean, he wants us to have character and integrity to be people of our word. And then he can, he encourages us to love one another and not just uh, love one another in passivity, but to the point of inconvenience. 
He says being willing to essentially be inconvenienced by others in order to demonstrate my love. And then he says, not just with those that are nice to you, but he goes on to teach on loving your enemy. Like this is, this is some pretty like crazy stuff. And we brought it down to very simplistic basis. Um, we brought it down to very simplistic kind of thoughts as we went in depth on this. But um, and, uh, do I love my neighbor well? Do I love, I don't even know if I love my family well. How am I supposed to love my, my neighbor well? Like, and we really asking these hard hitting questions. Courage is not just to do good to those who do good to us, but to love our enemies, right? Not just in language, but in action. We go on, that's Matthew 5 in a nutshell, but Matthew 6, he challenges us to do good deeds, but with the right motivation, right? He says, don't do them so you can be seen by men. Don't, don't, do, don't give to the needy just so you can kind of get a pat on the back or for some kind of affirmation, but do it. So that your father who sees what is in secret will reward you. And then he goes on in teaching about prayer, right? And we, we spent a long time in the Lord's Prayer and he models what prayer should look like. And teaches on fasting and giving and generosity. And he, he comes to this place where he deals with materialism and covetousness. And, and really teaches one of the best ways to combat the, the anxiousness of life. And the worries and the cares of this world is to live generously. We walked through that and we, and we look like, uh, how God, how are we supposed to not worry about what kind of food we're going to put on the table or the money in the bank? And uh, a natural combatant for that was uh, generosity. We looked at that. We walked through those. He warns of the deceitfulness of wealth and materialism. And he gives us direction on how to combat covetousness with generosity. Well, reminding us that we have no need to worry or be anxious because he takes good care of his children. Very profound teaching in all of this, right? It's, it's some heavy hitting stuff. In chapter seven, he teaches us about judging others, judging them the right way after <laughs> um, judging in a way that can be helpful, but also uh, understanding that that comes after a, a, a healthy process of self self-examination. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I love is Adam has been posting uh, videos of me preaching um, on Sunday, and almost without fail, every, every time that he posts a video of me, I'm like stumbling over my words. <laughs> like this last week, I was like, people. Uh, <laughs> it was great. It wasn't, it wasn't, it was just this last week, but uh, I realized, guys, I stumble over my words a lot. It's just funny. But we, we've been walking through this, right? Matthew 7. Uh, we look and we see him uh, talk about all of these things. And he brings it back again to asking, to seeking, to knocking, of persevering in prayer, of chalking prayer up to more than just wishful thinking. But it's an action that we're engaged with. And he promises the Holy Spirit, right? He promises to give good gifts to his children. He promises to respond based on the fact that he's a good father that loves to answer prayer. And then he goes back and he starts teaching on this thing called the golden rule again, right? And it was like, Jesus, man, you're all over the place. You're more scattered brain than I am. But it's good and it's all related. And he talks about how we're to proactively do good to others in the same way that we would want them to treat us. 
Not just be nice to them, not just kind of not be mean, but he says proactively do unto others. We talked about that a few weeks ago, and then we enter into the kind of the culmination of his sermon where he ties it all down and he brings us to these points of decision. He talks about the narrow path. He talks about the narrow gate. He talks about the broad way that leads to destruction. He talks about the many and the few and instructs us to enter through the narrow gate. We talked about how following Jesus is not promised to be easy. It's a difficult thing that it's not necessarily this cakewalk, but he promises to be with us. We, we looked last week where we talked about false prophets. We talked about how they operated illegally. They, they, they had the right rhetoric. They had the right action. They had the right words, but they missed the relationship. And we talked, we, we looked at ourselves and we asked that self-examining question, God, do you know me and do I know you? Is this how I define the success of my life? We looked at the good tree and the, and the bad tree, the good tree that produces good fruit and any other tree that doesn't produce good fruit gets cast down and cut into the fire or thrown into the fire. These are strong words of Jesus. We looked, at the, we looked at those that would stand before Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, they had the right language. They had the right words. They probably even had the right actions. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. We talked about the importance of knowing Jesus personally, relationally, having relationship on a basic level, on an intimate level, on a level of a friend. That brings us here 24. I think I did a, probably the best I could have done to summarize that as quickly as I could. I'm going to read verse 24 again. It says, therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell. And great was its fall. This sermon, the things that we just talked about, the things that we just recounted, uh, it's full of ethics on how we should live. Right? We, we understand that. It, this, this gives us really clear direction on the things that we shouldn't do and the things that we should do. Um, but I don't want us just to kind of boil it down to just ethics. These are kingdom-minded ethics. These are, uh, as Scott McKnight would say, ethics from above. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that that's so important for us to understand. It, it's, a, it's direction it's, it's ethics for how those who say they follow Jesus, who want to follow Jesus, it's, it's a guide for how we ought to live. We understand that. It's instruction for living counterculturally. But we can't reduce the teaching of Jesus. We can't reduce the Sermon on the Mount to mere philosophy. There's more at stake here, and it demands a decision. It demands a response. That's why Jesus very much says that you can't remain neutral in everything I say. And it's not enough just to agree with the things I say. It's, it's important and it's pertinent that you actually do them. To respond to the sermon, 
to respond to the words of Jesus here is not simply responding to a list of ethical decisions that need to be made. To respond is to respond to Jesus. And the only proper response is to declare who he is by the way that we live our lives. I think it's a great litmus test to take what Jesus says here to examine our friendship with him. And looking at the words in John 14, John 14, 15, that are we his friends? Because you can ask and answer that question uh, in relation to do we do what he commands us to do? This lies, here lies the issue with much of the modern church is that we have the right rhetoric. We have the right language. We have the right theology. We have the right doctrine. For the most part, maybe we're off base in some places, but we lack appropriate action. And I define appropriate this way because it's, there are plenty of people doing plenty of things, but I, I very deliberately use the language appropriate action because I think, of, I think of like the church in Revelation chapter 2, the church in Ephesus, right? Those guys got an A-plus report card. I mean, they did everything right by the book. But God still held it against them that they forsaken their first love. And I want to be very clear. What I'm talking about today is not just action and doing things for the sake of doing them. Because I wholeheartedly believe, wholeheartedly believe that you cannot fulfill the commands of the Sermon on the Mount outside of relationship with Jesus. You can try, you can be an imposter, you can maybe fake it and fool some people, but I really don't think that you're going to get very far. You're not going to have much traction in doing these things outside of an intentional relationship uh, with Jesus. It doesn't, it doesn't happen that way. I, I don't know about you. Has anybody ever just white-knuckled their way through not sinning, it doesn't, it doesn't work. You have, okay. No, I'm kidding. I've tried. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you've tried too. I realize that uh, I phrased that question and everybody's like, yeah, no, I've tried to do that. But it doesn't work, if I'm being honest. That's why we've continually come back to needing the Holy Spirit for help, needing Jesus to equip us. And he promises that he will do that. But at the end of the day, there has to be decision made on our part to follow through with action because it's easy to, to buy into the mindset of the lazy Christian and say, you know what, it's all under grace and Jesus will forgive me and Jesus knows I'm imperfect and Jesus knows I'm fallible and Jesus knows that I'm just a man and that I'm going to falter and I'm going to fail. And I believe God hates that kind of thinking. I believe it's a disservice and a dishonor to his son and what he did on Calvary. I believe it's blasphemous of the Holy Spirit and the fact that he promises to come and help you and we just resign ourselves into the place of feeling like failures. He has equipped us. He has been given so that we could have victory and that we could live the way that Jesus called us to live. He tells us in his sermon to be perfect like he is perfect. That's, that's lofty goal. I've not obtained that, but I do believe that his Holy Spirit comes and equips us to live in such a way and that Jesus doesn't ask us to do something that he isn't fully prepared to equip us to fulfill. 
I don't know, you know, there's, I get like twisted in, in like board games and stuff and I'll, I'll try to manipulate people and set them up for failure to try to accomplish a task that they'll never be able to do. God's not like that. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> if he asks you to do something, he's going to fully equip you and give of himself to help you fulfill that calling and fulfill that thing that he's asked you to do. So if he asks us to live holy, if he asks us to take these words and to listen to this teaching and apply them and actually do them, he promises to help us do that. I don't want us to grow discouraged this morning and just feel like failures, but he does help us. Because guess what? I'll, I'll just I'll like cut through everything. You guys are all terrible at following Jesus. You are all terrible at living out the Sermon on the Mount. And that's okay because he comes to help you do it. <laughs> he wants to help you do it. I realize that's like, oh, that's not, that doesn't preach super well. Like that doesn't make me feel good. It should because you're in good company, friends. <laughs> and he wants to help you uh, fulfill this. But, you know, I, I talked about the issue with the modern church is that, you know, we lack appropriate action. We lack action that's rooted in the place of intimacy. And I don't want any, anyone missing that key element here this morning. I don't want anybody thinking that, okay, I just got to go through this list and just do this. You know, I need to not hate somebody. I need to love my enemy. I need to go let Adam punch me in the face and turn the other cheek. Like, I don't want us just to kind of take this in and of itself and just, you know, treat it as a to-do list and just try to check them off and do them outside of the place of intimacy. That's what we talked about last week. Activity is not a replacement for intimacy, but it is the expected fruit of it. Does that make sense? Like if you're close with Jesus, Jesus says that there will be good fruit. If your roots are good, there will be action that is manifest. There will be fruit to be inspected and it will be good. There are going to be people that will uh, try, to, uh, try to deceive and imposter, but the reality of it is, is that you cannot have intimacy with the Lord without producing good fruit. That is a byproduct, and that's something that we understand. So please don't take me uh, out of context here and just treat it as a to-do list, but I say that because if there is intimacy, if there is relationship, which we talked about last week, then there has to be action on what Jesus has says, action on what Jesus had instructed us to do. And so I mentioned the modern church. I mentioned our culture. Uh, you know, it's easy for us to listen. It's easy for us to hear. It's easy for us to be passive about what Jesus says to do because the things that Jesus tells us to do are hard right? And we like the get out of hell free card. We want to, everything to be under grace and we want to take zero responsibility for our relationship with him. But friends, this is not a new concept. This isn't something that just plagues us. It's something that has plagued uh, people uh, for millennia throughout this book. Throughout, the, throughout Israel, it was a common problem for them to hear God speak and then not act on it. And that's a great travesty. I, I want to just give you one example. There's, there's a plethora, but Ezekiel 33 verse 30 um, says this. Um, 
as for you, son of man, this is, talking, this is talking about Ezekiel, the prophet. The children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses. And they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. That's good, right? Yeah, this is awesome. People are excited about the word of the Lord. People are excited about what the man of God has to say. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with a mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. This is not a new problem. You know, this isn't just something that happens today. Jesus was addressing it in his day. And then years before Jesus came on the scene, God was speaking to his prophet Ezekiel saying, you're saying the right things. The words that you have have life in them and people want to hear them, but they want to just kind of be passively entertained by them. They don't actually want to act upon it. And this is something, if there's anything that we could leave Jesus' sermon on the mount with, I think it would be the greatest travesty for us to simply hear it, to simply hear the words of Jesus, maybe even agree with the words of Jesus here and say, you know what, that's good advice, that's good ideas, and not actually see them happen in our lives on a day-to-day basis. That's, that's really what Jesus is saying here at the end. There's something about these two builders, these two houses, that I found interesting. Because as I was reading it, I imagined both of them functioning and looking pretty similar, right? Says that they, I mean, I imagine they were probably pretty nice houses. I, I would even, I think if we're looking at this parable and inferring what we know about sand in the area, I... I we could probably make the assumption that the, the house on, that was built on sand might have even looked nicer than the house that was built on the bedrock, right? If you've got the same budget and you skimp on the foundation so you can have nice finishes, uh, I, I don't know. But take that with a grain of salt. But what I do understand is that from the outside, on an average, calm, beautiful day like it is right now outside, looking at these two houses, either one would seem perfectly fit and fine. The guy that was building these guys as they were building their houses, it doesn't say that one was lazy, right? It doesn't say one was just kind of like, oh, whatever, I'm just going to shackle this together. No, they were both diligently working, building their houses, which is a parable, which is an example for our lives, right? They were building well. And, you know, when everything's calm, when everything's fine, it seems like things are okay. Things are great. And you could probably be like, ah, oh, I like that house. But this house is over here. It's on the beach, right? <laughs> it's nice. It's luxurious, whatever. And easily not be able to distinguish between the two. From the surface, it's impossible to tell that something's amiss. It's not until a time of testing that a problem with the foundation is revealed. And this is important for you to understand. This is important for you to comprehend in in a basis for building theology around the person of Jesus. The storm came. The, 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 The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew on both houses. Regardless of either one's morality, 
regardless of either one's ethics, regardless of either one's action or inactivity, the rain and the storm and the trial and the judgment, if you will, still came to both homes. You as a follower of Jesus, even if you take the words of Jesus written in these pages, even if you fulfill it to the T and you listen to it and you're like the wise man and you build your house upon the solid rock, that does not preclude you from hardship. That does not preclude you from suffering. That does not exempt you from testing. The storm came. But what it does do is promises that you will endure. A lot of people this last like few years, right? COVID, worldwide pandemic, all this stuff, financial markets going crazy. You're looking at this. Uh, it was a shaking, right? It was, a, it was, I believe, a testing of foundations for many people. We saw, we saw people crumble. We saw faith shattered. We saw all kinds of crazy things, and it, it, it happens. And I look at that, and I think, if this was, if something as small as this was so great of a testing for so many people, what's going to happen when we get to Matthew chapter 24? <laughs> it's startling, and it's scary. And I believe it's in the graciousness of God that he's exposing inconsistencies. He's exposing cracks in the foundation, if you will, because there's a warning that we must build our lives appropriately upon the solid rock. And the way that he says to do that is to do what he says. I don't, I don't have something more profound for you this morning. I don't have some kind of like cutesy way to, to present this, but the reality of it is, is we must be people that build our houses, that build our lives on the truth of the word of God, on what he's asked us to do, to actually do them, not just agree with them, but do them, flesh them out in action. That's like when, uh, that's hard, Right? I mean, I don't know how many of you today prayed for your enemy. Anybody have an arch enemy, like just a nemesis? Did you pray for your nemesis today? No, see? I mean, it's hard. <laughs> but God asks, please, if somebody has a nemesis, I want to hear that story. It sounds like a cool story. But we do have a promise, friends that if we build upon the rock that is Jesus, that wind testing, and, and, and many, many commentators, and I, I think it would be a fair assumption, especially given the context of everything that Jesus talks about in Matthew 7, talking about a day of judgment, when everything will be tested. <laughs> we have to be built upon Jesus and not just agreeing with him, but actually doing what he said. Taking these words letting them apply to our life. James 1, verse 22 says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This is the crazy thing. There are many people in many of our churches 
that have deceived themselves because they listened to the preacher on Sunday morning. You know, they might even be able to regurgitate some things about God and maybe memorize some Bible verses and whatnot. But it's very, very evident, especially when I, when I see things on social media and I hear of kind of the, just some of the, the horrible things that Christians do in the name of God. <laughs> it's very clear that many people are hearers of the word and not doers. They're not fleshed out in action. Because it says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, not just for a moment, but continues in it, and is not a, for, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Friends, I don't want us to deceive ourselves in simply listening to the words of Jesus, even agreeing with them. It's necessary that we take his word seriously, that we examine the fruit of our life as it stands today. Am I doing these things that we recounted, everything from the golden rule to are you actively praying? What does it look like when you fast? Do you, are, you, are you practicing love in such a way towards those that will not reciprocate it? Are we, are we, are we engaging in adultery of the heart? Or, or do we hate a brother or a sister? Are we murdering them in our spirit? Is, we, we read these things and we look at this and man, it's convicting for me. And I, I pray that it's convicting for you because Jesus doesn't give us a third option. He says we're either wise or we're foolish. We either build our house on the sand and we see it destroyed or we build our life upon him and we still embrace the same storm. We still see the same hardship. We still see the same struggle, but there's a promise that we'll be standing at the end of it. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.